during this Lenten season, we've been studying the passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. And each Sunday, we're taking a different section of that passage and focusing on it for the daily message. So hear God's word today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 20. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. Today's sermon title, Christ's Love Compels Us to Advocate for Justice, is based on that verse, verse 14. Christ's love compels us. It speaks of a love that is so captivating and so all-consuming that we cannot not share it with others. We are compelled to act. Last Sunday, if you were here, Matthew Tinsley preached a message in this series, Christ's love compels us to live on mission. And in his message, he said, Christ's compelling love is a game changer. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we bear the image of Christ in our circles of influence. Because of Christ's compelling love, he said, we see things around us through kingdom lenses. What breaks God's heart suddenly breaks ours. Matthew challenged each of us to consider our mission. That everyday ordinary acts of kindness shine light into the darkness. He said that we must invest in relationships with others to share Christ's love, others in our circles of influence. This translates to incarnational ministry, which is not, and I love what he said, which is not a one-time dip your toe into the pool, but a dive into the deep end. Having heard this, one of our members and I were talking, and she shared with me a story of her grandfather who was called as the first medical missionary in Nigeria. I was talking to Alice Waller. Alice, raise your hand. You're right over here on the front. I was talking to Alice after church, and I remembered 
hearing some of that story as I was preparing for today's sermon. So I called Alice on the phone and I asked her if she could tell me a little bit more about her grandfather. And the picture down on the chair in front of you is one that she shared with me today, and you'll see that up uh, on the screen a little bit later. George Green Jr. was born in 1872 in London and was raised in a Christian home. And at the age of 14, he indentured himself to become a bookbinder. And that indentured servitude meant that he committed himself to be in uh, an apprentice to learn the trade of bookbinding. It was not slavery, but it was something similar. It, it meant that he was not able to do anything else but that for a period of seven years. Well, after his indentured servitude was completed at age 21, George decided that he would go to Canada. And he boarded a ship with his father's blessing and ended up in Montreal. I would add that the church he went to in London was the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church, Baptist Church, where the famed Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the preacher for some 38 years. So he got to Montreal at age 21 and got a job as a bookbinder and joined the local Baptist church there and became very active in the congregation, so much so that he began to experience a call to ministry and started doing his theological studies in the seminary. He ended up getting very sick with the flu. And while he was hospitalized, he was cared for by a physician in the local church he attended. The physician's family actually let him stay with them after he got out of the hospital during his recovery. That planted a seed in his spirit to become a medical missionary someday. Well, he ended up moving to Ontario and became involved in the local church there, Woodstock, First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Ontario. One uh, day he was able to hear the pastor from First Baptist Richmond, Virginia, preaching there for the church's 75th anniversary. And he engaged in conversation with First Richmond's pastor, and the pastor told him about the Medical College of Virginia. And that inspired George Green to come to Richmond to begin his studies in medical school. He would become a doctor. During his residency in Norfolk, he met the love of his life, Lydia. She was the daughter of the pastor at the church he attended there, and they got married. Well, it was a week after they were married that they boarded a ship to Nigeria. But it wasn't just that easy. George approached the foreign mission board of the Southern Baptists back then and said this, I have been called as a medical missionary to Nigeria. And they told him no. They said we're shuttering that mission because it has been unsuccessful and too many missionaries have died uh, as a result of disease and persecution. But he said, I don't think you understand. I have been called as a missionary, a medical missionary to Nigeria. He was, Alice says, he was compelled and he was insistent. Well, the foreign mission board people relented 
and they gave him a $50 sta- uh, allotment to go and start a hospital in Nigeria. After reaching Agbamasha, Nigeria, George went to the king and shared that God had led him there to begin a hospital. And after hearing George's request, the king granted him a 100-year lease on a piece of land in an area that was supposedly inhabited by demons. And he told George, if you can succeed there, then we will know you are of God. Well, George and Lydia built relationships in the local community. They just didn't go out and do evangelism. They built relationships and cultivated those relationships, which is really what missions is about, relationships. They even got to know the local witch doctor and collaborated. Sometimes the witch doctor was not able to figure out why somebody wasn't getting any better and sent them to George. So it was neat that that relationship existed. They set up the hospital on this land where there was no building and saw people under a large shade tree called a flamboyant tree. And the photo that you see on the screen is another instance where George was treating the local chieftain whom no one else could help get better. But George was able to help him heal. And we know that God gave the healing. Lydia there is in the picture offering assistance. And then the man to the far right is a gentleman named Dari, whom George mentored to become a pharmacist. Over time, the Greens gained the trust of the people, and the king gave them permission to build the hospital, which is now called the Baptist Medical Center at Gabamasha, Nigeria. And in 2007, the hospital celebrated its 100th anniversary. And Alice, you and your family were able to make the trip to be there to see the hospital that your grandfather started. You know, it's really neat when you just talk to people right in our own church family, the stories that God brings to the surface. So thank you for letting us talk a little bit about your grandfather today. God called a former apprenticed bookbinder to become not only a preacher, but a medical missionary to people others had given up on. Because George Green and his wife Lydia were compelled by Christ's love, countless people were given hope and the opportunity to have a better life. Countless people received healing medically. Countless people received healing spiritually and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they saw it lived out. And you might say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say. But I'm not called to Nigeria. I can't go to a faraway place like that. I'm not called to be a medical missionary. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to do any of those kinds of things. But the point is, and I understand that, not all of us are called to to do those things. But the, the point is that Christ's love compels us to be on mission everywhere we are, whether far or near. And our mission is to advocate justice wherever that is, to look out for those who are left out and walked over and forgotten, that we advocate for justice that we seek what is right no matter what. Throughout Scripture, God's Word speaks to our responsibility to the overlooked and to the left out. In Scripture, this meant widows, orphans, the diseased, slaves, hired servants, visiting strangers. We would understand them as refugees here today. And others that were marginalized and vulnerable in society. 
especially children. But through Jesus' eyes for us today, this means that we advocate justice for everyone. It's part of doing the gospel. As Christians, we are often, myself included over my life, are uh, tempted to blame others for their problems. We say things like, well, they should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and everything will be okay. But some people don't have bootstraps to pull up and they need us to advocate for them. Or sometimes we say, well, they should just get a job. This is America. This is the land of freedom. Everybody has the opportunity to better themselves. And yes, those things are true, but it's not that easy. Or sometimes we say, well, they should stop the drinking and the drugging, and then they can get a job and everything will be better. It's not that easy. Sometimes we say, well, they should just be responsible for themselves. Yes, but who taught them what responsibility was? It, was there somebody in that family who was able to help them as they were coming up? Maybe not. And maybe they look to us here in the church to help them in that journey. Often we are quick to judge someone's situation in life and ignore their needs because of our own prejudices or past experiences. And we need Christ's compelling forgiveness and reconciliation to help us to be able to see with gospel eyes. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 16. In Christ, everything changes. We have a new way of seeing others. Paul is challenging us to advocate for others with a new perspective. He writes, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. See here, Paul is admitting his own prejudice, his own past experience and being the number one persecutor of Christians. He saw Christians as the enemy. He saw Christ from a worldly point of view. But after his conversion experience on the Damascus Road, everything changed. Paul saw the world with a transformed vision and knowledge. What once were worldly distinctions of race and class and gender had been changed with Paul, who himself said and wrote, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians 3.28. Paul had a new perspective, and he was writing to encourage the Corinthians in this passage to see others in the same way. I like how Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message version of the Bible. Verse 16. Because of this decision... We don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. From now on, from this point forward, we see, we recognize, we look at, we perceive, we understand no one according to the flesh. One commentator writes, our new relationship to Christ has brought about a new relationship to the world and the people around us. We no longer look at life the way that we used to. But because we are part of the new creation, everything has become new. We are transformed. We see people with Jesus' eyes. We advocate for justice and make no distinction because of race or religion or stigma or social status or gender or education or economic condition or social condition. We see people with Jesus' eyes. We are compelled to do that. I enjoy reading the little devotional book, Our Daily Bread. How many of you, some of you read Our Daily Bread? Many hands there. 
On February 16th, I really appreciated the devotional. It was entitled, The Junkyard Genius. The writer of the devotional tells a story of Noah Purifoy, who began his work as an assemblage artist with tons of rubble salvaged from the Watts riots in Los Angeles in 1965. From broken bicycle wheels to bowling balls to discarded car tires to damaged TV sets, he and a colleague created sculptures that conveyed a powerful message about people being treated as throwaways in modern society. The devotional writer says this, in Jesus' time, many people considered those with diseased and physical problems as sinners being punished by God. They were shunned and ignored. But when Jesus and his disciples encountered a man born blind, the Lord said his condition was not the result of sin, but an occasion to see the power of God. And when the blind man followed Jesus' instructions, he was able to see. Later, the man was questioned about all of this by the religious authorities, and he replied to them, listen, I can't explain all of that, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then the devotional writer says this, Jesus is still the greatest junkyard genius in our world. We are all damaged by sin, but he takes our broken lives and shapes them into his new creations, you and me both. As new creations, we are called to advocate justice no matter what. It's not an option. Yes, we are to share the gospel, the good news of salvation and eternal life that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we are at the same time called to advocate for justice because the Bible says so much about those who are the least of these, including Jesus as well. When we see others with Jesus' eyes, their problems become our problems. Quoting from Proverbs chapter 31, verses, seven, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And then over in Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. I don't know what it looks like for you. I do know that it's hard work. It's uncomfortable. And sometimes you'll doubt yourself. You struggle. But that's why we gather together every week on Sunday for worship and on Wednesdays and other times. That's why we do what we do to gather strength from God, to be encouraged. I encourage you. To look around you. Look and see with a new set of lenses. Maybe it's fair and equal housing. Maybe it's 
accessible and affordable mass transit, which is a big issue in metropolitan Richmond and the surrounding counties. Maybe it's helping refugees assimilate to our communities so they can be successful here. Maybe it's fighting human trafficking. Maybe it's standing up for reasonable wages of basic jobs or health clinics or equality in our schools or for those who are bullied and made fun of and teased. I don't know what it looks like for you, but can we begin to see with Jesus' eyes maintaining a Christ-like vision for justice in our communities of influence? Paul writes, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That means when we have a saving experience with Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit takes over our consciousness, our awareness, our very being, then from that point on, we no longer look at things and people the way that we used to. Now we see them as Christ. So we seek to do this, but we face challenges. Challenges to think different. That's our mindset. Challenges to see different. This is our perspective. Challenges to speak different. Our words. Challenges to act different. Our actions. From now on, we are different. Think different, see different, speak different, act different with a kingdom perspective. Last week, our church family hosted Caritas, a ministry to the homeless. And in case you might be new to us, um, Caritas helps people who are homeless on that journey to housing. And there's all kinds of good things that they do in between. Every year, the guests I speak with say that Huguenot Road members treat them better than a lot of the other churches, and I thank you for that. We encourage our members to sit down and eat with our guests when we're here for dinner. And so in serving uh, uh, the other night, our youth on Sunday night, they did a great job serving. I was in line for dinner and was talking to one of our members who was volunteering, and he said that he was going to follow one of the guests. He knew her, and he was going to sit with her. So I sat with them, and, and then later I said, uh, how would you n- know her? And he said, well, I see her standing on the corner asking for money when I'm driving on my commute. And so instead of just driving by, now I don't encourage everybody to do this, but instead of driving by, he stopped. And he got out and he began to know her story. He knew where she was from. He knew her walk of life. He knew that she had three children. He knew of her struggles. And he hadn't seen her for a while. And he saw her at Caritas and now knew why he had not seen her out on the street. She said she had finally made that decision, took the step of faith to enroll in the program. And he told me that she didn't live here that she lived across town and took a bus to the Bonaire area because she didn't want to see anybody that she knew asking. She didn't want anybody that she knew seeing her asking for money. I'm thankful that we partnered with Caritas to advocate for the homeless. 
I'm thankful that we have people in our congregation who sit down and model incarnational ministry that says, I am with you. Your problems are our problems. When Jesus entered time and space as a human being, he showed us how we, too, can enter into the experiences of others. If we regard others with God's eyes, perhaps we will see that we are all interconnected. For as Jesus he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you have done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. Let's pray.